0: Welcome to the Justice Report. I'm your host, Jam. And I'm Salam. Hey, Jam, remember how in season one I mentioned my little farm on the balcony? How's that going? You probably got a lot of produce by now, right? Well, uh, pretty much everything died. Bro, I couldn't even keep herbs alive. But the jalapenos, they've been popping. I mean, we have a winner there.
1: Bro, that sucks to hear. I know you
0: put a lot of work into that and you still failed story of my life jam but also the life of the american worker that's right salam the issue of workers
1: rights has played a major part in the history of social progress here in the united states and has had long ties with other social justice movements which really makes sense when you think about it because no matter what your identity is almost all of us have to do some type of work
0: just to get by (laughs) So much so that in the South, union organizing was seen as a direct threat to the white-dominated social order and thus needed to be undermined. I mean, this kind of feels like a Star Wars plot. And thus, the first so-called right-to-work laws were introduced, which nefariously tried to pit traditional notions of American individualism against the growing power of the Jedi. I mean, the growing power of organized labor. Yeah, you're really on it today, Salam, with the Star Wars references, but today, We'll take a peek
1: behind the curtain at Virginia's troubled labor history. We'll speak with members and leadership at the Service Employees International Union 512. And along the way, we'll survey the current state of the labor movement and maybe what it might look like in generations to come.
0: You know, I'm so glad that you said what SEIU stands for, because I've seen SEIU like everywhere. like it's always like, I think, uh, in gold letters and purple shirts. And I never knew what SEIU meant, except you meaning union. So thanks for that. I'm already learning and I can't wait to hear what's in the show today. And also, Jim, I want to give you a shout out. You handled all the interviews for the show. I couldn't make it because I was at the doctors. You know, guys, it's very important. Get your regular checkups. It's very important to keep your health so we can keep you. So before we get into this show, strap on your boots, put on your helmets, Virginia, because it's time to get to work. Just get ready for work,
2: work, 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 work. It's
0: we're going to start the show with an interview jam had with David Broder, who is the president of SEIU 512.
1: Over the past several decades, the word union has become a politically loaded term in the United States, and Virginia is certainly no exception to this. So, for starters, Dave, could you explain what is a union?
3: Sure, thanks so much for having us. A union is the very simple but very profound idea that we are stronger together. A union is the organization that when workers band together and unite um, is the vehicle for which they can uh, bargain or advocate for a better future. A union is how working people have always come together in this country to improve their lives, the lives of their families, and the lives of everyone in their community. So unions are how we win raises, unions are how we win um, improvements in our pay and benefits, but also how we raise the minimum wage for everyone, how we ensure that every single Virginian and every American is safe on the job and safe in their community.
1: Mm. And we're often hearing today from certain politicians and perspectives that unions are part of what is destroying America. Why do they say that?
3: I think when right-wing extremist politicians say that we're destroying America, we wear that as a badge of honor. They say that for the same reasons that the powerful, that large corporations have always attacked working people and always attacked unions, which is we are one of the few things that can challenge the rigged system that they have built so that they can prosper uh, at the expense of everybody else, right? There's a reason why. Uh, corporations spend hundreds of millions of dollars trying to convince workers and the public not to join unions. It's the same reason why they spend all that money to convince people not to vote or to block them from voting, which is they know that when working people come together and unite in a union, that they are going to be held accountable, that large uh, corporate interests are gonna have to pay a living wage, are gonna have to provide benefits and safe workplaces.
1: Mm. And what kinds of victories has the labor movement and labor unions given to everyday working people throughout the generations?
3: You know, lots of folks, I think, are familiar with um, some of the big historical victories of labor unions, but they're worth repeating that it was workers coming together and uniting in a union. That's what won us the eight hour day. That's what won us child labor laws so that kids no longer had to spend their youths in factories but could actually go to school and improve their lives. It's the labor movement that won healthcare Uh, for so many folks. It's the labor movement that helped win social security. And we're very proud uh, of SEIU's tradition. It's the labor movement that helped organize and helped win civil rights. And so the labor movement has been instrumental. When I say the labor movement, we're really talking about working people. We are talking about teachers and factory workers, childcare workers and home care workers, working men and women uniting together across uh, race and gender, ethnicity and language Language and ability to win a better future. But I wanna say, when we talk about those historical victories, it's sometimes easy to think about unions as existing in the past, as not being relevant today. And the truth is, uh, working people and unions are more relevant to our fight for justice today than ever before, because we are seeing um, inequities rise in our society. We are seeing um, the wealth gap expand. So if you are the 1% of 1%, you are doing great. But if you are everybody else, you are struggling. And so working people are fighting very hard today to make sure that we can uh, fulfill the promise of those brave working men and women who came before us.
1: Great. Thanks for that, Dave. And we're also joined by a number of members of SEIU 512 Cecilia, Julia, Thomasine, and Ebony. Do any of you ladies have anything to add to what David just said?
4: The only thing that I can add is that I am grateful that SEIU decided to come to Virginia to organize home care workers. Um, home care workers. Our forgotten workers. Um, when S- we didn't, we didn't have a voice. We didn't know how to uplift our voice to be heard. And when SCIU decided to come in and um, advocated with us, we now have a voice, and we feel like we have somewhat a seat at the table. So uh, that's why I am grateful because without SCIU. I used to advocate for something for my son. I have a son in his thirties that has autism and I wasn't getting a lot done. But once I started to advocate with other mothers in the union, things changed for me and my family. So that's why I'm grateful. And that's why I advocate with SEIU so that I can continue to educate other families, bring them into the union and let them know that they can advocate because, uh, you know, some, most all the time we're isolated and our voices are not heard. And uh, once I was able to get into SCIU and was able to go to uh, budget hearings, and um, I didn't know that I could go to a senator's office or a delegate's office to talk. I didn't know that, um, you know, I could call the governor up, you know, and leave a message. And these are some of the things that SCIU taught me into how to advocate for my son and other people like him.
1: So, Julia, you talk a lot about how empowering your experience with the union has been. Can you tell me a little bit about what got you into working in the union in the first place?
4: What had happened was that my, my daughter, um, she's the caregiver of my son, and she um, She showed me the power of the union. Um, She was a part of the union and she brought me along. Um, She took me to a couple of union meetings in Richmond and my very first budget hearing. And once I went to the budget hearing, I found out that and spoke at the budget hearing. um, I wasn't alone. And when I spoke, I felt I felt the power that it just ignited something in me that, that that's been lit ever since. So, and that was years ago, and um, it was just it was just a experience that I had never had before. It was a positive experience, and it was it seemed like a vehicle that I could take to get to the destination that I needed to get to, and that was advocating for my son and people like him.
1: And what has that meant in the long run for your family?
4: Um, My son needed a long-term care waiver, and we were on the long-term care waiting list. I don't know if you know uh, about the long-term care waiting list in the state of Virginia, but there's thousands of uh, people on that waiting list. And uh, my son was able to get a waiver after... I went to every single budget hearing, um, talked to every governor that was in office, talked to every senator, every delegate. Um, did other actions with SCIU, so now we have the long-term care waiver that he needed, that will uh, help enhance his life with some of the services that you know he needed, like occupational physical therapy and uh, 24-hour. Um, personal care assistance care. That's just the name
1: of the campaign. Well, thank you for sharing that story with us, Julia. Cecilia, Ebony, or Thomasine, do either of you have similar stories like to share about what got you involved in the union and what it's meant for you and your families?
5: Hi, this is Cecilia. What it meant to me uh, at the time, I knew nothing about the union. And um, I had, become, had recently become uh, paralyzed waist down from a spinal surgery. So I wound up becoming a spinal cord uh, injury patient, long-term on disability. I met Julia um, one day. She actually came to my home because I had uh, an attendant. And at the time, Julia was pretty much a godsend to me because I had the long-term waiver and everything, but I really didn't know everything that was involved. Um, And I also have aging parents. So I found myself in a position where not only did I have to be a caregiver for my parents, but I had needed caregivers for myself as well. And by doing so, and being introduced into uh, Virginia SC by twelve, I learned oh, tremendously. Um, I learned how to not only advocate for my parents, I advocate for myself, I advocate for my home care workers. Um, started I come from a generation of home care workers. Actually, my grandmother was a home care worker. My mother was a home care worker. Um, I learned at the age of 10 how to care for my grandfather. Um, and I mean, in depth on how to actually care for a patient. And it it really sparked my interest. So when I met um, with Julia, I went to a meeting and then I met uh, governor, I met uh, quite a few delegates as well as sen- senators. Uh, I actually learned how to go to a general assembly and what that entailed and I even spoke at a couple of them. So that that ignited a fire uh, in me to help advocate for my parents, myself, but others. And I advocate for my attendance as well. So without SEIU Virginia 512, honestly, I really don't know where I'd be at this point, but it ignited a passion. I joined the board of directors and I actually, it was a lot of confidence that the union helped to instill in me. So, yeah, I'm a lifetime member. I, I can't say enough about Virginia 512.
2: Hi, this is Ebony. Um, what it meant to me to be in a union, it's changed uh, my life as far as um, helping my brother and my mother. Um, Julia is my mother and I take care of my brother. And helping her, seeing her fight uh, or try to fight all the years before she joined the union to get the help for my brother. When I was presented with the union, I was like, Ma, you know, this is a group of people that says they we can get together with them, we can go, and we can talk to people that normally she wouldn't be able to get to talk to to try to get the help that we need for Antoine. And she went with me one day to uh, a budget hearing, and she seen how the power in numbers, the number of people and the power that there was in the number to get the help that she was looking for there, and that there was other mothers that was in the same, that felt the same that was in the same boat that she was and felt like they were, they didn't have nobody, but they realized that they had this group of people that was the union that was together there to back them, to help them talk to the people, to tell them to tell them how to tell their stories, how to get what they wanted out the correct way to get what they wanted. And she was just, and to see her light up and to take that and go full, Storm, like she hit the floor running and then to see her do that and it made me fire up to get more involved in it to help her and to help my brother and help people like him I'm, I'm just thankful for the the spark the come, coming to me finding me first the spark that little bit of spark in me to get my mom to get there and then that explosion in her and then to keep feeding that fire and the her putting it out to other mothers that's like her and getting them to join and putting that fire in other people to grow the union, to get people to understand that the union is is helpful. It's, it's just so <laughs> overwhelming. It's, uh...
1: Ebony, that was an amazing story. You talked about when you were in the budget hearing and being around folks that are in solidarity with you and how that inspired you. Can you tell me a little bit what you were thinking in that moment?
2: I was, for a moment, I was speechless because when you go to places like that, you you normally nervous because you didn't know, that you you're talking to, well, I'm nervous because I don't like talking to people, but you're talking to like your senators and your delegates, and then, and then you feel like you're alone. But when you look back, and you go up to the podium and you're standing there, and you're telling your story. And if you look to your right, you see your brothers and sisters standing there beside you, and you look to your right, to your left, and you see the rest of them, they're all standing there beside you, giving you the courage to tell your story and get it out. It's, it's like a like you're not alone. The solidarity of family is like, we're family. We're right here behind you. We're every step of the way with you. And, and that just felt great to have that. Yeah.
1: Gives you a sense of power on the inside. Yes. So I'm going to transition questions a little bit. Uh, So I did a little bit of research earlier this week and found that in 2019, a study published by Oxfam America on workers' rights actually listed Virginia as the worst state for workers' rights in the country, um, behind Alabama and Mississippi. And that's n- not the type of company you wanna be in when it comes to workers' rights. Shout out to Alabama and Mississippi. We got mad love for the people out there. Um, but David, can you talk a little bit about why Virginia is so behind in workers' rights?
3: So um, our uh, ranking, Virginia's ranking, as the worst aid for workers is deeply rooted in our history, is deeply rooted in the 400 years of American history um, from when the first enslaved Africans came to Virginia. It is why um, we say in our union that there is no economic justice without racial justice. And you can hear it in these stories. Home care workers are essential workers Home care workers have been on the job since day one of that pandemic. Home care workers are on the job every day providing quality hands-on care for older adults and people with disabilities. Our parents, our grandparents, our children with disabilities, there is no job more important than home care. And so why do we pay home care workers poverty wages? Why do we as a society not give paid sick days and health care to home care workers? Why do we deny home care workers um, retirement security? It's because home care work has largely been done by black and brown women. Right? This is what systemic racism looks like in our economy, and in our healthcare system. And so it is sadly no surprise that Virginia, uh, that Richmond, the capital of the old Confederacy, is also the worst state uh, for workers. And yet uh, we would do not want anyone to. Uh, Uh, be despair to give up hope because of the extraordinary union members and working people across the Commonwealth, my sisters and brothers in this interview. um, We are changing things, we are building power, and we are making Virginia a place where all people can thrive.
1: And you mentioned right to work, Dave, Virginia is oftentimes called the mother of right to work states. What is right to work? What does that mean?
3: But right to work is simply a law um, that, uh, means that individuals do not have to join, uh, the union. You can join the union or not join in, uh, join the union. You do not have to join the union that fights for you. The problem with right to work laws is that, um, the problem with right to work laws is a couple fold. So one right to work laws, we should be very clear were created to, um, weaken unions so that white workers, and black workers would not come together and build power together. They were to opt people out, allow people to opt out of unions so that white workers back didn't quote, have to be in a union with black workers because of just overt racism, but also because those at the top knew that if uh, working class individuals work together across racial lines, that they could build a powerful new society where the 99% would thrive and not the racial System for the 1%. Um, but right to work laws are also directed to keep workers' organizations to keep unions weak. And so what are what's the outcome of that? It impacts everyone, not just uh union members. And so we know there's been great uh studies. If you go to EPI, they've done studies where holding for all other um, where when you hold for all other factors, states with right-to-work laws have lower health care rates. People make less money, whether you're in a union or not. Childhood poverty rates go up in right-to-work states, and you are more likely to be hurt or killed on a job if you live in a state with right-to-work laws. So it is a clear attack on the rights of working people that is, again, meant to that um, is meant to deny the power of working folks so that corporate interests can get away with whatever they want as they put profits over people.
1: And Here's an open question to anyone. How do you deal with confronting right-to-work laws? What, what's the path forward to victory? What does that look like? This is Coach.
6: Um, well, I grew up in an area, in a time where right to work control people's lives no matter what you did you was not going to make the same wages if you were the person of you know black or brown color my mother made made 25 dollars a week cleaning someone's house taking care of their children doing all of this and that was because of right to work it was to it was like, how can I put it? It was like a stumbling block. Place in people of color's weight to just get them just enough to say, well, you got a job. But no matter what, you can do anything and lose your job for nothing. So it's, it's, it was set up as a way of holding people back. The only way that we can combat right to work is to have everybody understand that we are all one and the same. You got that one percent, and then everyone else is being held back by right to work. So the only thing that we can do is fight. You know, fight this together. Go, go to the polls. Vote this out, you know, get them to remove that law. That's the only way I've seen this all my life. You know, in almost 70 years, it hasn't changed.
1: In your time in Virginia, have you seen any changes that give you hope for the future?
6: In some places, yes, I have. Because I'm seeing how people are more progressive today that it's not the color of your skin. It's just a certain small percentage of the people that's still seeing that. But you got other people that's also seeing. Well, hey, guess what? The only difference with him, 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 and me is the color of my skin.
1: So Charles, thank you for sharing that, David. I'm going to transition this next question to you. Um, how are unions helping working Virginians in 2020?
3: One, we are fighting for the right to bargain a contract. We are fighting to expand collective bargaining rights. It is a universally recognized human right to come together with your coworkers and bargain a contract, even if that right is under attack in America. But what we're also doing is we're using our power. We are not defined by any one labor law or any one contract. So working people are coming together, union members, their friends, their family, and they are passing laws at the local, state, and federal Level, they're passing budgets that invest in the community. The Fight for 15 is such a great example of how when we come together, use our collective power and be bold that we can, even without a traditional union structure, the Fight for 15 raised wages for tens of millions of Americans. The fight for 15 was one of the greatest anti-poverty efforts this country have, has ever seen. And it happened because fast food workers, right, had the bold vision of saying, I am worth more than 725. And because home care workers joined them and adjunct professors joined them and everyone in our community joined them and said, we are worth more. Than the minimum wage. We are worth not just 15, frankly, we are worth 20. We're worth 25. We are worth uh, family sustaining wages. And so I think in so many ways, you are seeing union members fight for what working people need. And today, um, again, you see union members join the movement for Black Lives to pass, to, 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 use this moment of racial reckoning to make sure that we will not pass on to our children the systems of white supremacy that we were raised in.
1: So Dave, I'm really glad to hear how you see a resurgent labor movement give new life to it. I think about 15 years ago, a lot of people were saying that the labor movement was on the decline. It was on death's doorstep. HBO had the series called The Wire. That entire second season was about this. Um, But you basically talked about how the fight for 15 and the intersectional approach to organizing that labor movements have taken in recent years have given it new life. I was wondering if you can talk a little bit about what does union organizing in Virginia look like tomorrow? What is the future of the labor movement?
3: The labor movement of the future recognizes that every single person deserves to have a real voice on the job. No matter what work you do, right? No matter, again, where you come from, the color of your skin, the language you speak, there is dignity in work. And if if there is a job worth having, then there is a job worth being paid well for. And so the labor movement of the future is going to unite workers in every sector of the economy at every level. I know that at our strongest moments, the labor movement is multiracial, multi-generational, multi-ethnic. We speak different languages. We come from every part of the world, but we come together because we want what everyone wants, which is a better life for ourselves and for our children. And we are never going to give up until we win that world.
0: So Jamshed, what did we learn today?
1: Well, we learned that on a personal level, joining unions have a real material impact on its members' lives. Additionally, membership in union is oftentimes the first time its members feel such an immense amount of support and solidarity from others,
0: effectively empowering them to take on leadership positions in all sorts of facets of their lives. Well, I mean that's a high and mighty way of looking at things. But I learned that a man named Broder leads a Broderhood. (laughs) Also, big picture, we learned that anti-union policies are directly tied to the history of racism and white supremacy here in Virginia. So we'd like to give a special thank you to the members of SEIU 512 for agreeing to be interviewed for this special. Shout out to mom and daughter combo, Julia and Ebony, Cecilia and Charles, AKA Coach. And we'd like to
1: thank you, the listener of this program, for supporting us. If you're sitting in your car listening to this program now, please make a note to rate and review our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts,
0: or wherever you get your podcasts as soon as you arrive at your destination. With all the social distancing, rating our show is effectively giving us a high five especially if you give us five stars. I mean, that is a high five in two ways. Please be sure to check out the Justice Report every week at 12.30 p.m. on Wednesdays at 97.3 Richmond Independent Radio WRIR-FM or stream us on your podcast platform of choice. We'll see you all next week. And remember, it's never just us for justice. This is the Justice Report.